All right, podcast family. Well, we successfully made it back across the pond. Yep, we came back from Europe. And while it's always great to have exposure to other cultures, uh, just get another viewpoint, another lifestyle perspective that's very, very valuable. I think we all grow individually when we do that. And I encourage everybody, if you can, definitely just go abroad. You get to see uh, another part of the world and how they live and, and their viewpoints on, on life. Super, super valuable. But having said that, nothing like being back in the USA. So very thankful to be back in this great, wonderful country. Yes, every country has issues, but man, I'm telling you, wouldn't want to live anywhere else but this great land. And the older that I get on vacation, I've come to realize that I really become two TV characters unwillingly and subconsciously. And I was reminded by that. Uh, by my family. Uh, it's it's crazy. Just the older I get, I do become Jay, uh, the father from uh, Modern Family, uh, and Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. It's amazing. I don't want to do that. It just kind of happens naturally. I think it comes with the added age on to your ears. All right. But having said all that, we are back with our podcast. And as I was sitting in the Frankfurt airport, uh, with my free Wi-Fi, looking for some articles, kind of uh, to spend time, uh, to burn time of our layover. I found something that was super, super interesting, and that's what we're covering here today. Because we're going to be covering something that isn't out yet, but is coming out next month in August 2023 in the Gray Journal. Okay, that's the American Journal of OBGYN having to do with the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology's revised blood pressure categories and uh, pregnancy outcomes. Yes, that's been done before, but this is a really nice data-heavy systematic review uh, with a catch. So I'm going to tell you what that catch is, and here's a take-home question. Should we be using the AHA and ACC guidelines for blood pressure redefinition? for hypertension in pregnancy. And I touched on this in a previous episode, but we're going to go much deeper uh, into the data in this episode, all right? This isn't even our formal intro. This is just the, hey, I'm back kind of intro. Then we're going to do the real intro to follow. So welcome back to the resumption of our podcast. And now let's get on with our regular, our routine intro. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. In 2023, the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force made a mind-blowing recommendation. They stated that, quote, clinicians should screen for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, end quote. Yeah, that was just in February 2023, even though we've kind of been doing that all along. Specifically, they stated that, quote, measuring blood pressure at each prenatal visit is the best approach, end quote. Yeah, super mind-blowing, I know. But sarcasm aside, a new publication set to be released next month in the Gray Journal, the lead author of which is Slade, actually validates that recommendation. Not that that recommendation needed validation to begin with. But anyway, this new publication has to do with the sensitivity of blood pressure reading compared to the specificity of blood pressure reads as it relates to hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. In other words, should we be monitoring blood pressure at each prenatal visit to rule in hypertensive disorders of pregnancy or to rule them out? 
that's a super important question and it's not just an academic one, but it really does have to do with the sensitivity and the specificity of blood pressure reads at each prenatal visit to actually lock in that diagnosis of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. We're going to cover all of this in this episode. Yep, in this episode, we're going to review whether or not we should be adopting as obstetricians, as women's healthcare providers, that 2017 American College of Cardiology and the AHA, the American Heart Association, their revised blood pressure criteria. We're going to review those in this episode as well. Should we be sticking with 140 over 90 or should we be changing it to what the AHA calls class 1 hypertension, which is obviously lower. That's 130s over 80s to 90s. We're going to lay out all of these numbers in this episode. And as always, you'll want to stay with us until the end of this episode as we pass on some real-world clinical implications of this new study's results and findings. Think about it. Blood pressure monitoring in pregnancy is both a screening test because it's simple, it's acceptable, and it's applied to a large number of asymptomatic, potentially at-risk individuals, and a diagnostic test which is used to establish a diagnosis of hypertension and its associated care pathways. So it's both a screening and a diagnostic test. But it's important to understand blood pressure checks as a test because all tests, whether screening or diagnostic, have a sensitivity and a specificity for its own performance. So, here's a clinical question. Is blood pressure monitoring a rule-out test or a rule-in test for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy? That really is not just an academic question. It really gets to the heart of why we should be checking blood pressures at every prenatal visit. And one of those descriptions is more appropriate than the other. In other words, is it a rule-out test or a rule-in? And we're going to explain why one of those is true and the other isn't a little bit later on in this episode. But back to the ACC and AHA guideline change in 2017. In 2017, the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association both went in on the same document, and they recommended lowering blood pressure thresholds for hypertension. Now, remember that that was outside of pregnancy. This was, hey, we're redefining what hypertension is everywhere else except for pregnancy. And this was based on lower blood pressure values because of the elevated cardiovascular risk that was found in multiple both epidemiological and observational studies at blood pressure levels that were lower than when it historically had been used for hypertension. Blood pressure was considered to be normal if it was less than 120 over 80. And of note, two new blood pressure categories were created. The elevated blood pressure category, which is a systolic blood pressure of 120 to 129, with a diastolic blood pressure still less than 80, and stage 1 hypertension. That systolic blood pressure is in the 130s, that's 130 to 139, or diastolic blood pressure in the 80s, that's between 80 and 89 millimeters of mercury. 
And the traditional definition of hypertension, which traditionally started at 140 over 90, was now called stage 2 hypertension. So here we have this discrepancy, right? In obstetrics, we're like, we don't worry about it until stage 2. And then the American Heart Association, the AHA, and the American College of Cardiology, they're like, man, you've passed elevated, you've passed stage 1, and now you're worried about stage 2? So there's a little disconnect there. But of course, pregnancy is its own world because of hypovolemia, physical logical changes. And here's the big catch. Where is the blood pressure cutoff that actually is linked to severe adverse perinatal outcomes? Is it 130 over 80 or is it 140 over 90? And that's what we're focusing on in this episode, all right? Should we stick with the traditional rule of 140 over 90 or should we move it down to stage one hypertension? That's what we're talking about in this episode because that's what this new upcoming publication in August 2023 is, is covering as well. Okay, now just to be very clear, to date, there's no pregnancy hypertensive guidance that has adopted the uh, ACC or the AHA blood pressure criteria for use in pregnancy. All right, so we have to say that again. As of right now, ACOG, SMFM, uh, NICE guidelines from the UK, none of them have adopted the stage one hypertension cutoff to define you know high blood pressure in pregnancy. But just because they haven't adopted that doesn't mean it can be ignored. We're going to cover that as well. Because there is an association with stage 1 hypertension in pregnancy and some adverse issues. But that word association is also loaded. And I'm going to explain why in just a moment. All right. But to be very clear to date, no pregnancy, no prenatal society in, in the U.S. or abroad has adopted using 130 over 80 as the diagnostic cutoff. That's the catch. As the diagnostic cutoff for hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. All right. Now, we're going to talk about 130 over 80 stage 1 hypertension in the first 20 weeks and then we're going to talk about it in the second 20 weeks of pregnancy so the first half and the second half of pregnancy because that also makes a difference all right so lots to cover in this episode but i just wanted to, to at least set the groundwork here we're talking about the 2017 aha and acc blood pressure guidance and whether we should be a Adopting those for hypertensive disorders in pregnancy or not, sticking with the 140 over 90. Before we go any further, we do want to stop here and camp here for just a minute to discuss this whole issue about stage one hypertension and some studies that have looked at this in pregnancy because there's a lot to, to dig out here, okay? So first of all, whenever you see some publication on the ACA slash AHA guidance and their application to pregnancy, you got to ask yourself several things. Are you are they talking about looking at this in the first part of pregnancy, the first 20 weeks, which is now we're talking about chronic hypertension, or are we talking about this after the first 20 weeks uh, as a hypertensive disorder in pregnancy, all right? Gestational hypertension, preeclampsia with or, with, or, or without severe features. So what are they talking about? Because those really are two different populations, right? So somebody who has 130 over 80, the AHA stage one hypertension in early pregnancy, they're already starting the pregnancy game with a handicap, right? They're already starting the marathon of pregnancy with a weight on them because their blood pressure is already a little bit above what is considered normal for everybody else, all right? So that's the first thing I want to say is this study that we're going to talk about 
is looking at blood pressure based on the AHA guidance from 2017 after 20 weeks. But those same authors that did this publication coming out next month in August 2023 actually looked at the exact same topic, the exact same uh, discussion applied under 20 weeks. Okay, and so I'll be very clear here. In the first part of pregnancy, and I'm going to give you that reference in a minute, the same group of authors said, hey, let's apply the AHA guidance starting at 130 over 80 as hypertension in the first 20 weeks and see what we find. And absolutely, there's definitely an association with some adverse perinatal outcomes. But that association, whenever somebody asks you, hey, is there an association with X uh, with a Y outcome? then the answer is, well, there is, but it's you need to clarify what that association is. And there's three types. There's mild, there's a moderate association, and then there's a strong association. Okay, you see the difference? So when you say association, that word has a catch. Remember I said in the intro, there's a catch to it. Yes, looking at hypertension based on stage one hypertension, 130 over 80 in the first part of pregnancy, there's definitely an association with adverse perinatal outcomes, and I'm going to show you those studies in a minute. But that association tends to be mild, okay, or weak. So it's either mild as weak, moderate, uh, which is a, you know, moderate, and then severe, which is a, a strong association. So to be very clear, what we're talking about here and, and revising and summarizing uh, I'm sorry, not revising. We're not revising the article. We're reviewing the article. Reviewing and summarizing the article from August has to do with this application of stage one hypertension after 20 weeks. But there's definitely a lot of data that has looked at this before 20 weeks as chronic hypertension. And I'm going to be very clear. Yes, there's an association with stage one hypertension, 130s over 80s, uh, women who enter pregnancy with that handicap and adverse perinatal outcomes. It's just that it's a weak association, okay, compared to the 140 over 90. I'm going to give you those, those references here in just a minute. All right, so we're talking about stage one hypertension in the first 20 weeks of pregnancy. The new publication is not covering that, okay? It's talking about stage one hypertension after 20 weeks. But I want to make the point here that stage one hypertension in the first part of pregnancy absolutely is associated with some adverse perinatal outcomes. It's just a weak or a mild association compared to the 140 over 90 cutoff. Take, for example, a cohort study from 2021 that was published by Lee et al., the title of this publication is Early Pregnancy Stage 1 Hypertension and High Mean Arterial Pressure Increased Risk of Adverse Pregnancy Outcomes, a study in Shanghai, China. Okay, well, that's exactly what we're talking about here, so a very fitting title. This comes out of the Journal of Human Hypertension, and again, it was published first as an EPUB in 2021 and then formally came out in print in 2022. And as always, we'll leave that reference on our reference list if you'd like to go back and take a look at that. But in this study, compared with normotensive women, that's women with blood pressures under 130 over 80s, not 140 over 90, women with early pregnancy stage 1 hypertension did have an increased risk of gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, preterm delivery, and infants with low birth weight. And there was even this, this mild, weak association with gestational diabetes mellitus, okay? But this risk magnitude, once again, was not impressive. 
And if you're thinking, well, that's fine, it's just one article, right, it's just one study, but it isn't. Remember we said also that these same authors that published this upcoming study from August also took a look at the exact same thing, but now under 20 weeks of pregnancy, and they published that as well. And it's the ex and I love this. How cool is that? That this group of authors said, I'm going to apply stage one hypertension to pregnancy. First publication is going to be looking at outcomes in the first half of pregnancy, defined as 20 weeks and under. And then we'll see what happens there. And then we'll see if we can apply it to the second half of pregnancy and then find out what happens there. So they got all pregnancy covered. Super, super neat. And that publication that looked at applying stage one hypertension to the first 20 weeks of pregnancy was also by Slade et al. That's S-L-A-D-E, Slade et al. And this was published out of the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology last year. So again, great job for these authors. They got both spectrums, both ends of pregnancy, the first 20 weeks and the second pregnant weeks covered, looking at stage one hypertension. And they published both episodes in back-to-back -back years, 2022 and now, now in 2023, and in the same journal, the American Journal of OBGYN. Oh, and the title of these two publications are almost identical, except for which part of pregnancy they're talking about, all right? So their first publication from last year, the title is, quote, American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association Blood Pressure Categories, a systematic review of the relationship with adverse pregnancy outcomes in the first half of pregnancy, end quote. And this new publication coming out next month is basically the exact same title, except that it says now in the second half of pregnancy. Very, very cool. So in that 2022 publication that looked at applying stage one hypertension in the first part of pregnancy, Slade et al. found that there are definitely associations between higher blood pressures on a continuum along with some adverse perinatal outcomes. However, and here's a clinical pearl, quote, only the current threshold of 140 over 90 was useful as a diagnostic test because that's when the association with adverse outcomes was strongest, end quote. And remember, I'm going to cover this about screening tests and specificity and why we need to stick with 140 over 90 and not actually go to the 130 over 80 cutoff as many authors had 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 suggested in the past. And I actually, I think I had a podcast back in 2018, just a year after that 2017 new blood pressure criteria came out. I'm like, hey, maybe we need it. Maybe it's time to revise it. But now as the data has accumulated, we now know that that 130 over 80 cutoff is super important because it is a marker that blood pressure is on a continuum and they may continue down that continuum and deteriorate to a true diagnostic pressure of 140 over 90. But as of right now, the ACOG does not have an idea, doesn't, it's not on the docket as far as I know, to change or to revise the current cutoff value from 140 over 90 to 130 over 80, okay? There is an association with adverse perinatal outcomes at the lower blood pressure, but it's a weak association. And most of the value, most of the diagnostic cr criteria of when adverse perinatal outcomes can actually occur is linked still to that 140 over 90 cutoff or more. All right, podcast family, now let's get into the new publication from August 2023, looking at applying stage one hypertension to the second half of pregnancy and whether or not we should be using that as a cutoff for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, okay? So as we summarize that application of the AHA's blood pressure cutoff in the first part of pregnancy, 
yes, it is something to, to consider. That is definitely hypertension. We can call it chronic hypertension. That's perfectly okay. All right. So there, there's two different thoughts here. What is the definition of new onset hypertensive disorders in pregnancy after 20 weeks? That is still 140 over 90. And we'll explain why coming up here in just a minute. But then the second part of the question is, well, what defines chronic hypertension in pregnancy? Well, chronic hypertension is elevated blood pressure in the first part, which is under 20 weeks. And based on the American Heart Association, then that should be stage one hypertension, 130 over 80. So yes, we, it's perfectly okay to, to recognize that because there is a weak association with adverse perinatal outcomes, okay? So I define chronic hypertension as greater than 130 over 80s in the first part of pregnancy, and that's actionable. Well, what do we do? Well, what do we do with any chronic hypertensive uh, early on in pregnancy? We start them on aspirin, and we give them education. We tell them to eat healthy. We tell them to exercise. We tell them to do lifestyle modification, stress reduction techniques. So you see why this matters? So when somebody asks, hey, do you apply the AHA blood pressure guidelines in pregnancy? My answer is absolutely. I apply it to the first part of pregnancy because there is a mild association with some adverse pregnancy outcomes, and those women should be started at, on aspirin, ideally uh, starting at 12 weeks, although you can start all the way to 28, but the earlier the better. So yes, we use a stage one hypertensive cutoff uh, just like the AHA does, even though those original guidance were outside of pregnancy, but it's totally okay to do that. Okay. Now, it's not actionable by medication because we don't start medication for chronic hypertension until 140 over 90. Okay. So those are, do you see those different things? So you can define high blood pressure as 130 over 80 in the first half, but you don't medicate that according to the CHAP trial, which is uh, chronic hypertension in pregnancy until it's 140 over 90. And I'm going to cover CHIP and CHAP in just a moment. Uh, in a little bit further down in the episode, okay? So do we recognize in our practice stage one hypertension uh, according to the AHA in the first part of pregnancy? Sure, yeah, okay, you can mark it on there, but we're not going to give you medication until you're 140 over 90. And all we're going to do is give you aspirin, and we're still going to wait for you to get to 140 over 90 as a cutoff, all right? So we diagnose that as a, as a medical problem, but there's no specific intervention until you hit the 140 over 90. Because remember, that blood pressure is on a continuum. It's on a sliding scale. So if they start with that initial handicap, they have an easier ability to slide off that road into true hypertensive diagnosis for pregnancy, which is 140 over 90. Okay, now let's get to what we really wanted to talk about, which is the upcoming publication from August 2023. See, we could always just start with this, right? Hey, here's what this new article said. Here's the info. Boom, boom, boom. And then we're done. But I think there's value in setting that stage and tilling the ground before we plant the seed in, right? So that we had to cover the 2017 uh, guidance. We had to talk about what those blood pressure categories were. We had to talk about the previous studies that looked at this in the first 20 weeks in order for us to now apply that same principle to the second part of pregnancy, which is the second 20 weeks of pregnancy. So I, it's it's not that guys, I'm not trying to bore you. I'm not trying to give you all this um, uh, useless trivia. It's super important, right? And how we apply this data. This is what we're trying to do here in the episode. We're trying to give you clinical implications. So 
130 over 80 is super important in the first half of pregnancy. That gets them the diagnosis of, hey, you're chronic hypertension. But it's not really actionable until 140 over 90. And that's CHIP and CHAP. And we'll talk about those two uh, studies a little bit in, in just a moment, a little bit later down in the episode, even though we've got other episodes in the past. So CHIP is control of hypertension in pregnancy of any type of hypertension, whether it's chronic or hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. And then CHAP is just focused on chronic hypertension in pregnancy, okay? So CHIP, control of hypertension in pregnancy of any type, and then CHAP, chronic hypertension in pregnancy. But both of those, CHIP and CHAP, started medication at 140 over 90. In this new publication, the authors present a systematic review of published studies on this association between adverse maternal and perinatal outcomes at blood pressures that are at stage one based on the 2017 ACC and AHA blood pressure cutoffs. And that was looking at very specific severe maternal complications. All right. And I mean, I'm bad stuff. I mean, they included cortical blindness, cerebral vascular accidents, strokes, retinal detachment, acute kidney injury, liver hematoma, and then the usual stuff like preterm birth, small for gestational age, neonatal intensive care unit admissions, and, and of course the always tragic perinatal death. Okay, And then secondary outcomes that were also analyzed in the systematic review and meta-analysis included maternal death, admission to the ICU, need for intubation, placental abruption, need for C-section or postpartum hemorrhage. All right, So they were very, very broad because they didn't want to miss anything. Sort of like, hey, if we're going to apply, if we're going to lower the blood pressure cutoffs here, if we're going to apply stage one hypertension to the second part of pregnancy, we don't want to miss anything. So we're going to put all the really bad stuff as our primary and secondary outcomes, okay? And for this meta-analysis, they used 12 studies that met their inclusion criteria. Overall, in all those 12 studies, basically they looked at data on over 251,000 women. Actually, it was 251,172, 251,172 women. Four results. Well, first off, it's good to know that of the main and secondary outcomes, None of the following were reported in any of the studies. So some of the really bad things that were included, thankfully, were not found, like cortical blindness, retinal detachment, pulmonary edema, acute kidney injury, liver capsule hematoma. So those things, including neonatal resuscitation, those weren't reported on when they lowered the criteria down uh, to 130 over 80. Right. So that's good news. But here's a clinical pearl. This systematic review of 12 studies that, again, reported on more than 251,000 women demonstrated, quote, that higher blood pressure thresholds in the second half of pregnancy were associated with a greater subsequent risk of preeclampsia and most adverse maternal and perinatal outcomes. The risk tended to be highest with stage 2 hypertension. Y'all get that? That's at 140 over 90, which was the only ACC slash AHA blood pressure threshold that was useful to be used as a diagnostic test to predict true correlation with morbidity. Okay, so what does that mean? It means, hey, 130 over 80. Yep, there's an association that kind of like a sliding scale. It, it gets worse as your pressure goes up. But, but the highest, the strongest association was with stage two hypertension, which is what we've always been using at 140 over 90. Now, here's what the authors go on to state. And it's very important. Quote, 
Of note, no threshold, including stage 2 hypertension, could at any point in the second half of pregnancy perform well used as a rule-out test for adverse pregnancy outcomes, including preeclampsia, end quote. Did y'all get that? So they said, hey, at no blood pressure cutoff, either 130 over 80 or 140 over 90, if they didn't have that, okay, you couldn't say, oh, that rules out the patient for having preeclampsia. Ah, hold on. That's the answer to the question that we asked earlier on in the intro. Remember that? Hey, do we measure blood pressure at every prenatal visit to rule in or to rule out a hypertensive abnormality? And it's to rule it in. And here's why blood pressure checks cannot be used as a rule-out test. Because the patient could have something brewing under underneath, right? So because preeclampsia and hypertensive disorders in pregnancy, including gestational hypertension, remember, is, a, is an abnormal vasospastic response. And because it's that vasospastic response that's not tonically contracted all the time, that's chronic hypertension, but you can get this tonic reaction of, of constriction and then it relaxes. So if you check it during a relaxation episode, and it doesn't mean they don't have it. You just you just missed it, all right? So the question is, do we check blood pressure? Should we check blood pressure at every prenatal visit as a rule-in or rule-out test for hypertension? Here's the answer according to this systematic review coming out in August and others. It's not just them who have said this. Remember that we're checking blood pressure. We have to check it frequently because it's a rule-in test. Just because their blood pressure is not 140 over 90 doesn't mean that they don't have something brewing under the surface. And the exact same thing applies for 130 over 80 or above, okay? So it is not a rule-out test. Frequent monitoring of blood pressure in pregnancy is to rule in the issue of hypertensive abnormalities in pregnancy. In other words, the sensitivity of this test is not very good, actually. And you're like, how does it not that good? Because you have to catch it during that vasospastic episode. But its specificity is very good. Okay, let me slow down the roll here for just a minute, okay? Think about this in your own practice. You have a patient, you get a high blood pressure in clinic, and you check it again, and it's still elevated. You send her to labor and delivery or triage for blood pressure monitoring, okay? And labs, right? The typical PIH workup. That's the right thing you're supposed to do. Well, how many blood pressures do you check? Do you do one more and then say, it's normal, I'm going to send you out? No, you put them under blood pressure surveillance, right? You can watch them for two hours. Typically, it's four hours uh, to see if you can catch it in that vasospasm. Remember, the traditional definition of hypertensive disorder in pregnancy is 140 over 90 on at least two occasions, at least four hours apart. So you can make sure that this vasospasm is repetitive uh, and consistent, okay? Otherwise, it's just a wrong blood pressure read potentially. So this is the idea here is that we're doing frequent blood pressure checks at every prenatal visit because hypertension is a rule-in diagnosis, not a rule-out one. I love how these authors really describe this issue of sensitivity and specificity of blood pressure checks in pregnancy, and I, and I love this narrative description. So let me use this excerpt right from that publication because it, it's really just so, so good. So let's cover this right now. Quote, as a screening test, blood pressure measurements aim to be sensitive to identify as many women as possible who are at risk of pregnancy outcomes and to reassure those with a normal BP. 
Unfortunately, as none of the blood pressure thresholds evaluated, including the 140 over 90 cutoff, were sensitive enough to rule out any adverse outcomes with reasonable certainty, we have to say that hypertensive disorder of pregnancy is best used with frequent blood pressure monitoring as a rule-in test rather than a rule-out test. Does this make sense? So they go on to say, quote, These findings highlight the importance of current practice recommendations to measure blood pressure at each antenatal care visit, end quote. You see, so even though we're kind of sarcastic about the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force in their February 2023 publication and the recommendation to, hey, guys, make sure to always check blood pressure when your pregnant patient comes in. I'm like, no, really, that's so novice. (laughs) I never thought about doing that. I mean, it's totally sarcastic. Of course we do that. But the reason we do that is because the sensitivity is just not that good, but the specificity is much better. And regarding this specificity, this is why blood pressure screening is really more of a diagnostic tool more than a screening tool because we already said screening has issues because, hey, your blood pressure is uh, 120 over 80, you're fine. But that doesn't mean that they're not brewing some hypertensive disorder in the background. You just They just haven't uh, been declared yet. All right. That's why it's a screening test. It's not all that good. That's why we've got to do multiple visits. But as a diagnostic tool at 140 over 90, that specificity is much, much better. So as the authors want to say, quote, as a diagnostic test, blood pressure measurements aim to be specific to accurately identify and treat those at increased risk and to minimize both unnecessary health resource utilization and negative effects on the pregnancy experience from monitoring women who have normal outcomes. Only the blood pressure threshold of 140 over 90, which is stage 2 hypertension, can do so, demonstrating good to excellent performance as a rule-in test for preeclampsia and other adverse maternal and perinatal outcomes, end quote. So if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Chapa, you said earlier that blood pressure is both a screening and a diagnostic test. Absolutely. It's just not a really good screening test, but it is a screening test. It's just not that accurate because its sensitivity is not that good, as we've just explained. But as a diagnostic test, because its specificity is much uh, much stronger there for adverse perinatal outcomes, that's where its value comes in. So to be very clear, yes, checking blood pressures at each prenatal visit is both a screening test for hypertensive disorders in pregnancy and a diagnostic one. It's just much better as a diagnostic tool than a screening tool because its sensitivity is inferior compared to its specificity. All right, podcast family, and now that we're getting towards the end of the episode, the good news is, is that now we can do something about it. While 130 over 80 is kind of a flag, it's kind of an education tool for stage one hypertension in pregnancy. Hey, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of teetering here, you're kind of playing with a little risky game here, but until you get to 140 over 90, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to watch you closely, give you some education, lifestyle modifications. So yes, that's important, but actionable is now 140 over 90, all right? And I told you that we're going to talk about chip and chap. So let's do that now as we're at the end of the episode. The increased maternal risk that has been associated with a blood pressure cutoff of 140 over 90 and higher can be reduced by antihypertensive treatment. Now we've covered both chip and chap in 
previous podcast episodes. You can go back in our archive and check that out. But it's not just Chip and Chap, all right? In a Cochrane Systematic Review that looked at antihypertensive therapy or no therapy at 140 over 90, using medication did half the risk of severe hypertensive disorders. Half the risk. Now, the control of hypertension in pregnancy study, that's the CHIP trial, okay? So, control of hypertension in pregnancy, that found that for women with chronic hypertension or gestational hypertension, treating to a target diastolic blood pressure of 85 reduced the risk of developing severe hypertension as well as HELP syndrome. These findings were similar, irrespective of whether the hypertension was chronic or gestational. So the take-home was, hey, you can start initiation of medication uh, at 140 over 90 because it actually prevents deterioration uh, into some adverse sequelae. So that's good. And now let's talk about CHAP. So CHAP is chronic hypertension and pregnancy. So there's CHIP and then CHAP. CHAP trial confirmed that antihypertensive treatment in women with chronic hypertension to a target of less than or equal to 140 over 90 also reduced that composite of adverse maternal and perinatal outcomes, specifically preeclampsia with severe features and preterm birth at less than 35 weeks of gestation. So just as a quick recap, 130 over 80, super important, pay attention to it, use that as an education tool, 140 over 90, then if it's persistent, then definitely consider starting medication to keep them at that target goal, right? So you don't want them to go past 140 over 90, you definitely don't want to make them normal like in the 110s over 60s because you don't want to drop their pressure head, but chip and chap, and if you want more info uh, on those two studies, go back to our archive because we've covered both of them in the past. All right, podcast family, hang with me because this notion of sticking with 140 over 90 isn't just coming from Slade and that author cohort and the August 2023 publication. It's not. I mean, this has actually been a thought for at least two years because back in the Lancet, under Lancet Global Health in 2021, this study publication from 2021, whose lead author was Jeffrey Boone, was titled Blood Pressure Through thresholds in pregnancy for identifying maternal and infant risk, a secondary analysis of community-level interventions for preeclampsia trial. This was the CLIP data sub-analysis, and it was published, once again, in Lancet Global Health. Well, the authors here took a look at that same clinical question, and here's what they found. After looking at more than 21,000 women and their data, this was out of India, Mozambique, and Pakistan. Quote, This study did not identify significant associations between stage 1 hypertension and major adverse maternal or neonatal issues. By contrast, women with systolic blood pressures greater than or equal to 140 or diastolic blood pressures greater than or equal to 90 had both two to six times the increased risk of major adverse outcomes, end quote. In other words, even in this Lancet Global Health from 2021, the mood was, the vibe was, the thought was, hey, let's stick with 140 over 90, 130 over 80. There's some increased associations, but there's nothing like sticking to that 140 over 90 cutoff. 
Well, now that we're at the end of this rather voluminous episode, I feel like it lasted forever. But there's just so much to cover, right? So do we ignore stage one hypertension? No, don't ignore it. Blood pressure abnormalities are on a continuum. So even though it's not actionable and still doesn't make the diagnosis of hypertensive disorder pregnancy, that's still 140 over 90, if found in the first part of pregnancy, then, and because there is that mild or that, that uh, weak association with adverse prenatal outcomes, specifically deterioration of blood pressure, tell the patient, hey, your blood pressure is 130 over 80, you don't need medication right now. But we're kind of worried about that. If you weren't pregnant, that'd be called stage one hypertension. So we're just going to monitor it, you know, start doing some some stress techniques, stress reduction tools, uh, do some exercises if you're physically able, take your aspirin initially between 12 and 28 weeks. That's part of patient education. But as a diagnostic cutoff, it is still stage two hypertension, 140 over 90. That's the strongest association with adverse perinatal outcomes. All right. Does that make sense? So chip and chap use 140 over 90. And if you find that, consider medication treatment. It's okay to treat that because chip said so and chap. Remember that chip was control of hypertension in pregnancy, whether chronic or gestational. And then chap was specifically focused on chronic hypertension in pregnancy. And if you're wondering, well, those are just two independent studies. Chapa, what did ACOG say? I did a podcast on that too. I think the title was like ACOG's response to Chip and Chap. So you got to go back to the archives and check that out. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. I feel like this episode was a little bit more voluminous, a little bit more verbose. Maybe it's a time change. Hey, I've just been in the U.S. for less than 24 hours, and maybe it's the seven hours time lag that may be a little bit more verbose than usual. But anyway, I hope you found that helpful. Again, we covered a new publication coming out in August 2023, and we're taping this, what's today, 23rd? I think it's July 23rd. Again, jet lag. But as always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.